took was not a Braniff plane, and the first place we landed was not the place where Henry Hill was waiting. It took more than one flight that day to finally get to a town where, I learned later, Henry Hill and his federal bodyguards had arrived just a couple of hours earlier. Hill was a surprising man. He didn't look or act like most of the street hoods I had come across. He spoke coherently and fairly grammatically. He smiled occasionally. He knew a great deal about the world in which he had been raised, but he spoke about it with an odd detachment and he had an outsider's view for detail. Henry Hill was introduced to life in the mob almost by accident. In 1955, when he was 11 years old, he wandered into a drab, paint-flecked cab stand at 391 Pine Street near Pitkin Avenue in the Brownsville, East New York section of Brooklyn, looking for a part-time after-school job. The one-story storefront cab stand and dispatch office was directly across the street from where he lived, he had watched the expressionless faces of the cab stand visitors, and he always remembered their huge, wide coats. Some of the visitors were so large that when they hauled themselves out of their cars, the vehicles rose by inches. And the men at the cab stand were rich. They flashed wads of $20 bills as round as softballs, and they sported diamond pinky rings the size of walnuts. The sight of all that wealth and power and girth was intoxicating. At first, Henry's parents were delighted that their energetic young son had found a job across the street. Henry's father, Henry Hill Sr., a hard-working construction company electrician, always felt youngsters should work and learn the value of the money they were forever demanding. He had seven children to support on an electrical worker's salary, so any additional income was welcome. Henry's mother, Carmela Costa Hill, was also delighted that her son had found a job nearby but for different reasons. First, she knew that her son's job would please his father. Also, with young Henry working, she would have more time to spend with Michael, her youngest son, who had been born with a spinal defect and was confined to either his bed or a wheelchair. Carmela Hill was further pleased, almost ecstatic really, when she found that the Varios, the family who owned the cab stand, came from the same part of Sicily where she had been born. It wasn't too long, however, before Henry's parents began to change their mind about their son's after-school job. After the first couple of months, they found that what had started out as a part-time job for their son had become a full-time compulsion. Henry Jr. was always at the cab stand. If his mother had an errand for him to run, he was at the cab stand. He was at the cab stand in the morning before going to school, and he was at the cab stand in the afternoon when school let out. His father asked him about his homework. I do it at the cab stand, he said. His mother noticed that he was no longer playing with youngsters his own age. We play at the cab stand, he said. My father was always angry. He was born angry. He was angry that he had to work so hard for next to nothing. He was angry that the three-bedroom house was so noisy, with my four sisters and two brothers and me. He used to scream that all he wanted was peace and quiet. But by then, we'd be all like mice, and he'd be the only one screaming and yelling and banging dishes against the wall. He was angry that my brother Michael should have been born paralyzed from the waist down. But mostly, he was angry about me hanging around the cab stand. They're bums, he used to scream. You're going to get in trouble, he'd yell. But I'd just pretend I didn't know what he was talking about and say that all I was doing was running errands after school instead of running bets.
and I'd swear that I was going to school when I hadn't been near the place in weeks. But he never bought it. He knew what really went on at the cab stand. And every once in a while, usually after he got his load on, I'd have to take a beating. But by then, I didn't care. Everybody has to take a beating sometime. Back in 1955, the Euclid Avenue Taxi Cab and Limousine Service in the Brownsville, East New York section of Brooklyn was more than just a dispatch center for neighborhood cabs. It was a gathering place. It was a gathering place for horse players and lawyers and bookies and handicappers. There were ex-jockeys and parole violators. There were construction workers, union officials, and local politicians. And truck drivers, bookmakers, policy runners were all over the place. Bail bondsmen, out-of-work waiters, loan sharks, and off-duty cops. There were even a couple of retired hitmen from the old Murder Incorporated days.